Hi everyone, my name is Sebastian Richard. Welcome to the Thriving on Purpose broadcast. I'm happy that you're joining me today. And uh, today we're continuing our teaching series titled To Tithe or Not to Tithe, That is the Question. And the subtitle of today's teaching is Moving from Lawfully Tithing to Insanely Gracious and Generous Giving. So moving from lawfully tithing to insanely gracious and generous giving. So if you haven't done so already, I did the first part of this two-part series on tithing last week. Uh, I did so as a, a kind of a reaction, I guess, to um, Creflo Dollar uh, coming out and saying that, you know, uh, that his teachings on tithing were wrong for the last 20 years. And uh, that would, that made huge waves for sure. And uh, I, didn't quite agree with his angle, but I agreed with his conclusion that tithing is not for today. So if you, you want to do this, you will want to listen to part one before you listen to this part two uh, of this teaching, where we're going to unpack even more stuff about tithing. I'm going to go uh, deep in a lot of stuff, but uh, I'm just saying you need to do that. You also need to uh, like this video. Uh, smash the subscribe button and make sure you share it with as many people as possible because I think it's really going to help a lot of people to ease their guilt-ridden conscience when it comes to tithing and to really give them the kingdom mindset that they need to have concerning giving, concerning giving to advance God's kingdom. So I really think this is going to be a twofold thing. It's going to help people to uh, put tithing in its place and also to embrace a kingdom giving mindset. All right, so let's let's get going on this. So in the New Testament, it's interesting because tithing is barely, if ever, mentioned. And whenever it's mentioned, like we know that Jesus mentions it a little, a couple times. Uh, he mentions it to the Pharisees, rebuking them. He says basically, he says you've been you've been very very uh, good at tithing a tenth of your mint and a tenth of this spice and that spice for the temple. And I we remember last time we examined that tithing had to do with the temple. So he's basically saying you've been good at tithing for the temple, which was still in existence when Jesus was saying these words. But then he rebukes them for having uh, uh, been slack in the main matters of the law, which is mercy uh, and love and, uh, and forgiveness and all those things that we need to walk in character-wise. This is the stuff that God wants from us more than tithing of mint and cumin and other spices for the temple. So the Pharisees were very, very good and diligent at that, but they were neglecting the weightier matters of the law, which made Jesus very angry. So, so he says, you should have done the tithing without neglecting the weightier matters of the law. So that's one instance where Jesus mentions tithing, but uh, Paul uh, barely, if ever, and I don't, I may be wrong, but I don't think he does mention. I don't think that, that in the New Testament, tithing is a thing. So that's one thing. Uh, and also, I believe that tithing should be seen as a principle of giving or what we could call as a measuring stick, uh, because I understand tithing as training wheels. I see it as this, this tithing. When you get into the habit of tithing, this is basically your training wheels for generous giving. Now, the problem with tithing is that people have been guilted and controlled through decades and even centuries of manipulation and indoctrination to give to their church in order to maintain a system of worship that was never prescribed to us in the first place. And that system of worship people call a local church. And I'm talking here about the building, not the assembly of people. Not the people who assemble together, but rather the building, maintaining the building, paying the salaries that have to do with, with the building. So the whole concept of how we do church is unbiblical at best. So from the New Testament, where did first the first Christians assemble? Well, they didn't assemble in the synagogues. We know that because most of them, first of all, were barred from the synagogues. They assembled mostly in homes. They didn't have church buildings in the New Testament, not yet. Now, this came much later. Now, there's nothing wrong with the idea of a church building. And it, it probably came something along the lines of, uh, hey, why don't we build a larger building where we can all gather and worship? 
And so the idea is not bad because some of the homes, let's be honest, must have been quite crammed. There must have been quite a lot of people. And, and eventually the idea probably came from believers saying, well, you know what, we're kind of crammed when we assemble it at, at Joe's house and uh, we're 45 people in his living room. So maybe if we had a, another building, it would be a better a better thing for us. So the idea is not bad. So what's the problem then? What's the problem with having a church building? Well, here's the problem. And I'm not saying that having a church building is a problem. But what I'm saying is that it brought forth a concept and a, a slavery towards the way of giving to maintain that building that, that is not biblical. So a large communal building requires obviously more funds, more caretakers, and all kinds of other things, right? And uh, there's a brother, uh, I'm friends with a brother on uh, Facebook. I've been friends with him for a long time, probably, I don't know, ever since I was on, on Facebook, maybe 12, 14 years or something like that. His name is Rory Moore. And he wrote an excellent book on tithing. And he titled it, and I like the title. He titled it, The Tithe That Binds. The Tithe That Binds. I'm going to show you the book right here. So I highly recommend this book by Rory Moore. Uh, and here's what he had to say about church buildings and church funds that come from tithing. This is a quote from his book, The Tithe That Binds. The cliche we have all heard, all churches want is your money. Now, it's funny because he mentions this and you've probably heard that. I, mean, I remember uh, many times it happened to me when I would, try to uh, share the gospel, share my faith with people. Uh, they, they would oftentimes have a knee-jerk reaction, a very negative one, saying, all churches want is your money. All pastors ask for is for money. Uh, and uh, you've probably experienced that. And I would be quick to, be quick to say, uh, I never talked to you about church here <laughs> because I would I wasn't the type of guy to talk about church. I've been I've been walking in the desert for 18 years. I haven't been part of a local church for 18 years. So so that was not my main and uh, my aim. It was to share uh, the, my faith and share Jesus Christ. But here's what Rural Moore says. I, I took a rabbit trail here, but he says, the cliche we have all heard, all churches want is your money, unfortunately contains more than a grain of truth. What many don't realize is that no denomination, organization, building, or incorporated group of Christians is the church. We only perceive those institutions as being the church. And they do need our money, especially for the building, the mortgage, uh, the overhead staff, the leadership, all of which typically take 96% of what comes into the church coffers. Now, this is a huge statistic here. So this means that on any given Sunday, on average, the, the money that people give is all for the building, the mortgage, the staff, and leadership, 96% of it. And most ministers, if they are really honest, I'm continuing the quote here, would admit they believe bigger is better in terms of the church size they personally manage. So let me repeat that again. 96% of what people tithe on any given weekend go to the management of the church machine. Yeah, and I'm calling it a church machine with a small C, not the big C church. Not the people of God, but the church machine, the buildings, the stuff that we've created. Now, the problem doesn't lie with people giving 10% or more. That is not the problem at all. I mean, I love personally, I love if you're a generous giver, no matter how you give or what, what your intentions are, or your understanding of tithing is, I love your heart if you're a generous giver. And I know God does too. Now, the problem lies with what these generous donations go on, okay? That's the problem. Now, Rory Moore, again, the author of The Tithe That Binds, he also wrote this. He wrote, churches will fundraise and goal set for $25,000 on a roof replacement, while individual members, single moms, and the elderly barely get by. 
is something out of focus here? Right? That's a rhetorical question, by the way. Of course, something is out of focus. So the answer to, to his question is, of course, big time out of focus. Big time, yes. All throughout the Bible, we are reminded that our ministry efforts should be towards the orphans and the widows. That's Old Testament and New Testament alike. In other words, our ministering and mon the money we get from tithes and offerings and generosity should go to help the more destitute among us. It is interesting to note that Apostle Paul, in all of his letters, never told any of the churches he established to tithe. He never told them any time in all of his letters that they should tithe. However, however, he did admonish taking up a collection for the building, for the roof, for the salaries. No, for the saints in 1 Corinthians 16, 1. Uh, uh, taking up a collection for the saints. So I would like to look at tithing, if we are to consider tithing, as a principle rather than a strict ordinance. Now, there's a lot of pastors and Bible teachers who are pro-tithing, who use the instance when Abraham tithed to Melchizedek as a way of saying, you see, the tithe was already in existence before it became an ordinance, before, before the law of Moses. And yet, it's very interesting, because there is no record of Isaac, Isaac, Abraham's own son, ever tithing anything to anyone. And yet, despite the fact that we're not told Isaac tithed, maybe, maybe he tithed, maybe not. I don't think he did because it's not mentioned in scriptures. And yet that didn't prevent Isaac from becoming highly blessed financially. Right? It, it didn't stop. It, the fact that he didn't tithe, that, that we're not told he tithed, it didn't stop him from prospering. In fact, we're told in Genesis 26, verses 12 through 14. It's, a, by the way, the verse I really like. Then Isaac sowed in that land. It was a land that was very dry, that was undergoing a, a, um, dryness. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm French, so forgive me if I don't have the, the exact word. And he reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous, for he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. Now that's Isaac, apparently a non-tither. Now, furthermore, there is a very interesting verse in Proverbs that kind of throws up a little bit for a loop if we want to use tithing as something that is still for today. It hints that uh, about a tithing principle that Abraham applied back then. We remember what, what, what uh, Abraham did. He gave a tenth, right, of what he had to Melchizedek, to what he had obtained. Now, what did he in fact do? Well, he gave to Melchizedek a tenth of his increase because he had drastically increased through the, those spoils of war. Now, this principle is found also in Deuteronomy. So we're, we're, to, we're, uh, we're told about that principle in Proverbs, but we're also told about it in Deuteronomy. So I'm going to read Deuteronomy first. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 and 23, you shall surely tithe all the increase of your seed, that which comes out of the field year by year. You shall eat before Yahweh your God in the place which he chooses to cause his name to dwell. The tithe of your grain, of your new wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and your flock, that you may learn to fear Yahweh your God always. So God is here saying, tithe a tenth of your increase. 
I find that so fascinating, the of your increase part. And I'm just making you guys think here. I'm not admonishing this as a, this is it, it's of your increase. But I'm saying this is really somewhat puzzling. And Solomon echoes something similar in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. He says, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. Again, that word, thine increase. Now, could it be, and I'm just throwing that your way as maybe either food for thought or maybe something to, to research further, to research further, could it be, is it possible that maybe if the tithe was required, that it was a tithe of your increase and not of your actual salary? There's a huge difference between your increase and your salary. So what a difference it would make for people to understand that God is the one who brings blessing, wealth, and increase. It would make us give in a, such, such a much more thankful way, wouldn't it? Now, also, this is just a point to consider, mind you. Is it possible that just maybe... God expects a man to give a tenth of his increase only. Now, this is done as an act of worship. For example, recognizing that God brings the increase. God brings the blessing and the more. He is the God. He's a God of abundance. He's a God who brings us, who gives us more. So it would be only normal to give him a tenth, at least, of that more that he gives us. Now, we know that when Abraham tithed to Melchizedek, he did so from his increase. Also, there's an interesting passage in Genesis 28, which is also pre-Mosaic law. It's a, it takes place at Bethel, uh, when Jacob dreamt of, of the ladder with the angels going up and down, and the, the whole uh, promise of God being with him and, and, and taking care of him and looking after him. Jacob does something very interesting. He does something similar. So that's from uh, Genesis 28, verses 20 to 22. And by the way, before I get I dive into the verse, I just want to again reiterate what I said in the first episode. What I'm throwing out your way here is to make you think and to make you perhaps do some more further research. It is not a cop-out from giving. It is not to encourage you to not give or to be cheap or to say, that's it, I ain't giving nothing anymore. And I will, I will, you will see from this broadcast that it is far from what I'm doing. But I'm trying to look at it biblically and to see what does this all mean? Is it for today? My conclusion is that tithing is not for today, but we'll just keep unpacking this together. So Genesis 28, 20 to 22, then Jacob made a vow. So but then refers to after he dreamt of the ladder and he thought, wow, what a special place. Uh, and, uh, and and God made him the promise, I'm going to be with you and, and you, you have not, nothing to fear. Everything's going to be great. Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Isn't that interesting? So Jacob is very, it's very interesting what he says here. It's actually kind of conditional. It's like a conditional tenth percent, 10% uh, here. Basically, Jacob is saying, uh, after God promised to be with him, he says, if you will be with me indeed, if it's if you really show up that way, of all that you give me, yeah, I'll give you a tenth, a ten percent of that. And notice in the whole chapter, God is not uh, Jacob is not commanded to tithe. God was uh, God didn't tell Jacob you will give me a ten percent. Jacob did that on his own, so he vowed to do it as thanksgiving to God. So all I'm saying here is, this is interesting. This is very interesting. So in other words, is it possible that Jacob was referring to, hey, you know what? 
as I walk with you from here on, if you increase me, like you said you would do, I will give you a 10% of all that increase. Again, that word, possible. I'm just saying that it's possible, right? So in other words, now we're getting to the more uh, practical stuff that has to do with us today. Could it be? I'm just supposing here. Could it be possible that if your salary has decreased in any given year? And check it out, guys. I mean, we've been living through three years of, of hard times. And it's going to probably get a lot worse with what's coming just around the corner. Just a heads up. But a lot of people lost jobs. A lot of people lost income. A lot of people lost houses. I mean, a lot of people lost a lot of things. There has been some who have increased, some who have used, uh, you know, found new opportunities and have increased, and that's great for them. But I'm talking about those who haven't, those who have decreased. Because, hey, life is life. It does happen. Just talk to Job about it when you get to heaven. Ask him if he, there was a point in his life when he decreased. He's going to tell you about it. So there's times in life when you decrease. Now, is it possible that if your salary has indeed decreased in any given year, that giving a tenth wouldn't be required by God? Now, to me, that really does sound like the gracious God that I serve. I don't know about you, but it does to me. Also, a tenth of your increase is very different, like I mentioned before, from a tenth of your income. A tenth of your increase is different from a tenth of your income. For example, I, I worked at Canada Post for years and years. My increase was between 2 to 3% a year. It, it, not even 3%. It barely followed the, uh, the inflation rate at the time. Today, it's even worse. So it barely followed. So my increase was 2 to 3%. I increased every year in salary. So could it be that that's what I was supposed to tithe from? Just throwing that your way. Just things to consider. Now, again, I don't want you to think that I'm endorsing this thought fully or advocating being cheap. Because if there's one thing that really gets me, that really makes me angry, is cheap Christians. And there's a lot of those out there. You know who you are. You know who you are. Or copping out on giving generously. I'm not advocating copping out on giving generously. I'm just looking at the Old Testament tithing. New Testament, I'm looking at these things. I'm saying, could it be possible that we might have misunderstood a lot of things? Last, uh, the first episode on tithing, I talked about the temple, that a lot of it had to do with the temple. In fact, most of it had to do with the temple ever since the Mosaic Law. And we, we looked at how God ripped the temple veil, saying, hey, temple stuff, sacrifices, everything pertaining to temple, done away with. Jesus fulfilled everything. Everything pertaining to temple. The temple only. Now there's other stuff that is that we're still uh, the Ten Commandments and other laws that are still in effect today that God never said it's done away with. So there was there's a big misunderstanding in Christianity of, of what is actually done away with. Anyway, uh, so like I said, I'm not advocating copping out. And if you stick around, and I hope you will, you will understand that this is not what I'm advocating. So I just want to bring this this whole. 10% uh, of your increase was all just a point I'm making, something to consider. And I would like to make my listeners uh, hear, my hearers, the, the people who are viewing this broadcast, stretch and think deeply on matters. That's always what I've, we've been about at Thriving on Purpose. We want to help you guys stretch, consider things, think different, or, you know, Try to understand matters more profoundly. So is tithing bad? If you're someone who's been tithing for years, am I telling you stop tithing? Don't do it. Not at all. This is between you and God. And there's matters of conviction in this. There's matters of obedience in this. For some of you, God has asked you directly to tithe, and that's perfectly fine. So keep doing it. Uh, there's matters also of blessing. Some of you have been tithers for years, and you have reaped tremendous blessing and increase from it. By all means, I mean, if you have a conviction, this is for, from God and this is where you got all this increase, keep doing it. So I'm not saying tithing is bad. I'm not saying stop tithing. I just want you to get to think on these matters, okay? So I, I feel that I should emphasize that if you're a tither, you're not wrong for doing so. You are in, indeed doing a good work. 
And it's something that's commendable because you're actually showing generosity, which is more than many Christians, actually. So whatever you set aside for the work of the kingdom, you should still set aside for the work of the kingdom. So by all means, don't stop giving. So I just want to encourage you to think uh, and to maybe revise stuff that maybe you've had theological convictions for some time now. Maybe uh, go back and reconsider these things prayerfully and carefully. Now, I want to talk about generous giving. I've mentioned that. And of course, tithing. So generous giving versus tithing, because the the title of this broadcast is uh, lawfully tithing versus generous, insanely generous giving under grace. So again, I believe that faithful tithers have learned how to become consistent and generous giver. I mentioned that tithing often acts as training wheels for giving, and that's a good thing. In fact, I believe it's a God thing. If you've learned to, to grow in the habit of being generous, it's a God thing. So now I'd like to take a look at the principle of giving generously. The principle of giving generously instead of the perceived rule of tithing or the perceived command of tithing. I believe that giving a tenth to the kingdom of God is actually a minimum. Let me repeat that. I believe that giving 10% to the kingdom of God is at least a minimum. I believe that under the new covenant, we should all aspire. Aspire? Yeah. (laughs) We should all aspire to become spirit-led, insanely generous givers. Let me repeat that for you, that term. It's, it's, it's what I, this is what this broadcast is all about. I want you guys to become spirit-led, insanely generous givers. Do you remember the widow's mite? A little, she gave like a, something like two cents. That's all she had. So what does that mean? She gave 100%. Not 10%, not 25%. She gave 100%. And who was there looking and knowing that? God in the flesh, Jesus Christ himself noticed it. So trust me, when you become a spirit-led, insanely generous giver, these things are jotted down. They are not forgotten. They are not forgotten in heaven. The Lord knows and he will recompense you. He will recompense you. So as we become spirit-led, insanely generous givers, and I I want to emphasize the word, well, all these words are important, but the insanely part, what does that mean? Well, it means that to the uh, casual onlooker, you would look crazy. You would look crazy. So that may be 10%, that may be 20% or 50%, or even like the widow's might, 100%. Always depending on how the spirit of God leads you to give always depending on his spirit. We are told in scripture that the new covenant in the book of Hebrews is a better covenant. We're told it's a better covenant. So a better covenant should reflect or should be reflected by a better people, right? A better people who give generously and liberally, often more than 10%. This is kingdom giving which is far superior to the old covenant tithing. Actually, Jesus uh, told us to do that in Luke 6.38, one of my favorite passages on being generous. Jesus said, give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. Shall who give into your bosom? Men. Given to your bosom. For with the same measure that you you met, you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. So that's the King James Version. Uh, not quite familiar with that term, meet, but I think what, what is said is here is the same measure that you give, it will be given back to you. That's what this means. So with the same measure that you give, it will be given back to you. So if guess if guess what? If you're a generous giver very generous giver. You're going to be generously given. That's in the Old Testament and it's in the New Testament. And notice how Jesus, interesting in that passage, he didn't put a cap on how much to give, right? There's no cap. No cap. There's no 20%, 10%, 15, 20, 25, 75. So we must also take off the cap off of our giving. 
Take off that cap. Follow the leading of the Spirit of God. Also, we're told uh, in Acts 20, uh, 35, these words, it's interesting, these words, because Jesus doesn't say them in the gospel, but they're told to us in Acts, where people were saying that where it was written, remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Wow. It is more blessed because guess what? From a scientific perspective, when you give, you feel good. You feel good about yourself. You feel good that you're making a difference. That's number one. But number two, because you're going to receive back, God jots it down. And he doesn't forgive us even when we give a simple glass of one of water to the simplest among believers. Okay? So keep in mind that everything you do for the kingdom will come back to you. Jesus also said this. He said, the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. There's another advantage to giving, and it's maybe a more selfish one, I guess you could say, maybe a more preventive one. But it's a very real one. I mean, there's a lot of people you can help and make a difference in their lives. And if ever, God forbid, if ever there was a, a bad day coming your way, well, guess what? These people are probably going to be around when you're in trouble. And they'll be willing to lend you a hand when you need it. Okay? And Jesus finishes by saying, Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. So as they say, generosity is its own reward. Generosity is its own reward. That's a worldly uh, saying, but it's very true. And hey, who can't use more friends, right? I mean, it's good to have good friends. It's good to have people uh, that you made a difference in their lives and they, they're like, hey, you know what? You made a difference in my life. If ever you need, I'm right here for you. It's good to have people like that. Another principle I want to look at is that God, we know this, God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. I mentioned uh, earlier how many pastors and churches often guilt trip people into tithing. And we know that this is wrong. You don't do that. Manipulation, I'm going to say this, this is very powerful. Manipulation is a form of witchcraft. It is. And it has to be dealt with. And there's a tremendous amount of manipulation in churches from all fronts from the pulpit, from amongst the congregants. A lot of people try to manipulate others in the church. And it's just, it, it has to stop. You can't get, don't get, don't manipulate people into doing your will. Manipulate them into doing, well, manipulate them. I don't even like the word manipulate. Get them to focus on doing God's will for their life. Okay? Not your will. Not your will for your church. Not your will for your life. God's will for their life. That's the, the right way to teach people. Paul said, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I like this. He says, not reluctantly or under compulsion. How does that happen? Well, that happens when you have uh, sermons manipulating people into being feeling guilty for not tithing. That's the way it happens. So when we give reluctantly or under compulsion, we lose something that's very important in our giving process. We lose our joy. Giving should be a joyful process. It should be something that you do as an act of thankfulness to God, worship to God, and wanting to help your fellow man. It's not something that, that you should do under compulsion. And when you lose your joy for giving, well, guess what? You're not a cheerful giver anymore. And it, that's just sad. And I've been guilt-tripped uh, into these, the way that the church systems are made. Man, there's so many things we look at. We want to appear righteous before men. We feel guilty when that basket comes and the guy next to you just gave a $20 bill or a $100 bill and, and the basket comes near you. You just... 
you don't you're not giving anything then you feel a tinge in your heart saying maybe i should have given something this is compulsion because the the giving is public right you, you kind of see these the basket going to and fro i like the churches who have adopted a different way I, there's a lot of churches who have a a big box with a, a slot in the box at, at the back of the church or in the front of the church that people can go before the service or after the service and give their their offering in there i think that's a good thing I think that's a good principle there because it takes away some of that feeling of uh, people are seeing what I'm giving. They're like, I'm trying to do this before men and not before God. And this whole mindset, you can, you can be tricked into a lot of stuff when that happens. So I've often felt some pressure in those types of situations in certain settings. Okay. And I know that a, a lot of people have also, and, and here's another thing, when you give under those circumstances, because you feel like you have to, well, guess what? You lose your cheerf your cheerfulness. You lose it. You, you lose the joy of giving. So we must always check our heart and listen to the Holy Spirit when we give. You're not listening to the guy in front trying to make you feel guilty. And you're not listening to peer pressure. You're listening to the Holy Ghost when you give. Okay? And there's another biblical principle I want to talk about is that you will reap what you sow. We know this, right? Now, generous giving, insanely generous giving, is not a biblical or church thing. It's a kingdom thing. It's a kingdom thing. Well, it is a biblical thing. I shouldn't say it's not a biblical thing, but it's not a church thing. Insanely generous giving is a kingdom thing. It's a kingdom of God thing. It's a biblical thing. Now, you've probably heard me say more than once that uh, believers, kingdom citizens, we are meant to be rivers. Not reservoirs. Reservoirs hoard cash. Rivers have wealth flow through.
So, guys, I'm sorry about what just happened. We had a uh, electricity. The electricity here went out. So I'm just going to recover where I was at. I, where I was at as I was teaching you guys. Uh, again, sorry about that. Of course, it's out of my control. It's not really my fault. But anyway, I will try to edit the YouTube video uh, and uh, the like as uh, I saw just a five minute break, I guess you guys could say. So I will go back to where I was at. So I was saying that we're to be, uh, we're to reap what we sow. So I was teaching you guys saying basically that generous giving is not a, uh, it's not just a church. It's not a church thing. It's a biblical thing. It's a kingdom of God thing. And I've said it more than once that believers, we are to be rivers of wealth that God pours his uh, blessing and generosity to us. And it has to flow through us. So we are to be generous givers. And I like the way Paul expresses it in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. He says this. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And in verse 8, he says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance, an abundance for every good work. And then in verse 10, verses 10 through 12, he says, Now may he who supplies seed to the sower, that's God, and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are what? While you are enriched in everything, for what? For all liberality, so all giving, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, not the needs of the church building, the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. Now, as we reach the end of this broadcast, you see the electricity went out right before I reached the end of the broadcast, which is kind of a bummer. But anyway, as we reach the end of this broadcast, this important broadcast, my prayer for you is that you increase your sowing, that God provides you with more seed to sow, that you increase your sowing, that you become an insanely Spirit-led, generous giver, or spirit-led, yeah, spirit-led, insanely. I don't want you to be insanely spirit-led. I don't think that would work. But a spirit-led, insanely generous giver in the kingdom of God. So may He help you. May He increase your seed, and may you increase your sowing, so that through it, you increase your harvest and your wealth. And that through that wealth, you keep being that river where there's a kingdom, kingdom cash flow, kingdom, kingdom wealth flow that goes to you, through you, and for others in the kingdom of God. That's the way we're supposed to give in the New Testament. That's the way we're supposed to give in the new covenant, in the kingdom of God. So may you become insanely generous givers instead of lawfully required tithers. You see the shift? Do you understand the shift that I was uh, really emphasizing this whole two-session teaching is to become insanely generous givers instead of lawfully required tithers. Now, I have some book recommendations that I wanted to give you guys as I end the broadcast. I mentioned it already. I'm mentioning it again. Big shout out to Rory Moore for his excellent book, uh, you can find it on Amazon, The Tithe That Binds. He really goes in depth in the whole scriptures and he examines everything we've ever been taught about tithing. He puts it through this, the lens of scripture and looks at us, is this for today? Is this the way we're supposed to do it? Is this true? And he really does a really, really fantastic job. 
Another great book that if you haven't read it, you will want to read this book, Pagan Christianity by uh, Frank Viola and George Barna. I have I read it years ago, like a, over a decade ago, and I don't remember uh, if he does address tithing, but he probably does touch on it, obviously, uh, because he covers a lot of stuff. And what I love about pagan Christianity is the amount of footnotes that they went through to present their case is absolutely astounding. So in other words, the stuff that is presented in pagan Christianity is at, it's irrefutable because of the amount of footnotes. And that's what they wanted to make sure that they did as they wrote the book. They even said at the beginning, we put so many footnotes because we know how believers are. They always have a, a, a knee-jerk reaction to justify their doctrines or, or beliefs or pet doctrines. So we had to put forth all these evidence, all this evidence to prove our points. And they did a fantastic job of it. Another great book that will really make you uh, question the way we've been doing church is Revolution by George Barna, who was, which was written maybe a close about around the same years as Pagan Christianity. Revolution by George Barna, great, great book. And there was a, I think it was part of a three-part book series. There was another one where he actually, um, it's not called Revolution, of course, because Revolution is this one, but there's another book that they, they wrote later, or maybe just George Barna or Viola, I'm not sure, but uh it was basically a, a call to get back to a better way of doing church, a way that required less of, of this slavery to this machine that we've created. Uh, so I think that was some good recommended reading right there for you guys. So uh, I, I hope that this teaching has blessed you. I hope it has brought value to you, added value to you. I hope it makes you consider uh, different things. And uh, look at that. I just, I folded this. I didn't, anyway, uh, it doesn't matter. Um, so, uh, as, as always, you make sure you like this video, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. And, uh, I hope this has blessed you. And if it has, make sure you share it with other people. So I will see you next time on the thriving on purpose broadcast. Be blessed and thrive on.